You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This is episode 42. And joining me today is going to be Kevin from the Pulp Culture Podcast. Kevin has a lot of the same interests I do. He enjoys movie props. He loves film. And he's very interested in the horror convention scene. He actually helps out with Horror Hound Weekend. And he's going to give us some insight on today's topic, which would be horror conventions. The horror convention is a place for fans of the horror genre to get together, meet the people that make the movies, talk with the authors that write the novels, dress and compete in cosplay competitions, and socialize with other fans of the genre. But to understand horror conventions, we need to talk about the evolution of the convention. Even if you have not heard of horror conventions, you probably have heard of the Star Trek conventions, as most people, even non-fans, have seen references in popular media, such as The Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, and Family Guy. Even before the first Star Trek convention, which was January 21st, 1972, the official beginning of science fiction conventions, or cons, is often debated. But 1936 was the start of PhilCon, Philadelphia's 1936 Science Fiction Conference. March 21, 1970 was the beginning of the world's most recognized convention, the San Diego Comic-Con. Attendance in 1970 was estimated to be at 75 attendees, and the 2022 show saw in excess of 135,000 fans. In 1971, Creation Entertainment was started hosting comic book conventions in New York City, and by 1980, expanding with shows in San Francisco and Washington, D.C. By 1983, they were the leading producer of comic book conventions and added events in St. Louis, Pittsburgh, Anaheim, and Houston. At that time, they were the leading producer of comic book conventions. Creation, in connection with Fangoria Magazine, started a horror-based convention in Los Angeles in 1985 called Weekend of Horrors. Horror fans were finally becoming a force to be reckoned with. Over the years, we started to see more conventions related strictly to horror that started to pop up. In 2003, we saw the beginning of Spooky Empire and Monster Mania. 2004, Rue Morgue Festival of Fear, 2005, Fright Night Film Fest, 2006, Texas Frightmare Weekend, 2007, Horror Hound, 2008, Cryption and Monster Palooza, 2010, The Mad Monster Party, 
and 2011 brought us Days of the Dead. Now, this is not a complete list of the horror conventions. There are horror conventions throughout the world at this point. These are just some of the more notable ones that are often referenced on the internet and by a lot of the horror-themed websites and podcasts. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump in and start talking with Kevin about horror conventions. How are you, Kevin? Uh, I'm good, brother. Just mostly laying around the house here uh, <laughs> these days. This is a nice little change up from my normal reality here for the last month. <laughs> Since you've had a little bit of downtime, you've had a chance to watch some scary movies. Yeah, we've watched a few here and there and got a few shows in. And, you know, my girlfriend, Anastasia, that you met, she's she's a little younger than us. So she hadn't seen a lot of the movies that we have. And I've seen quite a few more shows than her. But plus that also, you know, is me being a night shifter. You know, sometimes at work I have some downtime, so I'll turn something on while nothing's happening. We caught up on a few shows and stuff like that, so it's been a good time, but I'm kind of ready for this leg hill up and get back to work, I think. I never thought I'd ever say that in my life. <laughs> I got to get healed up because we have a Horror Hound show coming up in March. Your involvement with Horror Hound Weekend, what exactly do you normally do? I work under my friend, Aaron, who is one of the promoters of the show, him and a couple of friends about 15 years ago, they started a magazine, Horror Hound magazine. And then after that, they shortly started the Horror Hound uh, weekend convention. And Aaron is predominantly over the vendor hall there at the show. Mm -hmm. I kind of got in with Aaron. We go in on Thursdays and we help do set up. You know, we make sure all the table arrangements are in the right order. And then we make sure that the table assignments are all distributed for um, the next morning. You know, when we do check in for the vendors and we also make sure that mm -hmm. the um, celebrities, their areas are all set properly. Once that's done, we kind of just sit back and put out little fires here and there all weekend, you know, things that need taken care of. We used to work <laughs> with the um, photo ops people for a few shows there. We actually built uh, screen accurate costumes for some of the celebrities to wear during their photo op sessions, which that okay. was fun, but it was very time consuming. And for instance, the last show we did when we had this, we had a screen reunion and we got a screen accurate screen costume because you probably know this, but a lot of people don't, but the costume in the movie is a very thick, heavy robe and it's a sparkle robe, but like has glitter all yep. over it. And yep. so when, when we do these, you know, we try to get as screen accurate as possible. So we tracked down one of these glitter robes. We got one of the, the masks that matched, you know, the original mask as close as we could, you know, we got a replica buck 119 knife that matched the one in the movie as well we mm -hmm. went down and a friend had dressed up in the costume you know played in the background while the actors did photos with the customers i guess we'll call them literally the one scream session took almost four hours to get through they they now were what's down the there standard for a photo well a lot of times you know it always depends on who it is if they have these big mm -hmm. reunions, they'll always block them together. Like, you know, they'll, you know, one actor come in, they'll do their photos. Another actor come in, do their photos. Another actor come in, do their photos. And then they'll do a group photo together. Well, at this last show, right, you know, right. we had Nev Campbell, Jamie Kennedy, Matthew Lillard, and Skeet Ulrich. 
So you had five people mm-hmm. doing individuals, mm-hmm. and then they did the two scream killers together, Matthew and Skeet. And then they did a group photo together. And with these photos, you know, everything's set up. They got tape marks on the floor. You got your line off to the side and you got people at the door taking your little tickets as you come in. And basically it's kind of like a drive-through line. You stand over there, you walk out, stand on the spot, turn, you know, get in whatever pose you want to. And of course, you know, a lot of the actors, they'll make little chit chat with you. It's not just like, okay, next, get out. You know, I've seen him give hugs and take gifts and also take and hold props for photos. But basically, yeah, you come out, stand on the spot, turn around, get your photo, walk out the other side, come around to the side somewhere, and they have printers off to the side, and you automatically get your 8 by 10 photo as soon as it's done. Nice. I've seen some photo ops take 10 minutes, but the scream session took like almost four hours. It was insane. I'd never seen lines like this in my life it was crazy as you bring up the fact that these lines are taking so long we've seen this splurge of different horror cons across the united states there's monster mania there's spooky empire there's texas frightmare weekend and it seems like over the years and i know you've seen this kevin horror conventions have exploded all across the united states and i remember way back like in the probably like 80s, 90s, Starlog Magazine and Fangoria had their own kind of conventions. Yes, I remember the Fangoria Magazine. It was called A Horrifying Weekend. Mm-hmm. And Yep, Starlog catered to the Star Trek fans. And I don't know if you ever saw the movie Trekkies. Mm-hmm. It talks about how the whole Star Trek convention thing started. Somebody had this idea of like bringing back the cast of that television show And we're going to put them all on the stage. And so many people showed up for this convention, like they had no idea. So the science fiction thing kind of got started. But who knew that horror movies had so many fans? And now the horror conventions have kind of surpassed the Star Trek conventions. They're still the the Comic-Con because of the superhero stuff. But it's just amazing to see how much it's growing. When I first started doing these conventions, it was like 20 bucks for an autographed 8x10, and these people would take a picture with you for free. But now it's like 40 50 60 $100 or more, depending on who the celebrity is. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember, like you said, reading about those shows in Fangoria. You know, they had those. It was a horrifying weekend. I remember looking mm-hmm. at the guest mm-hmm. list and I was like, oh my God, you know, as a young guy, I was like, this would be mm-hmm. so awesome. I want to go to it. <laughs> Holy shit. You know, it was always far away. I think the closest one to me was like Maryland was the closest one they ever had. I can't remember exactly what year I was trying to, I was trying to look and see that's when horror hound started doing their conventions. I believe it was 2006, 2007. Okay. And I just remember I was online or, or no, I heard about it on the radio. Believe it or not, you know, radio ads used to work, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they were doing a show over in Indianapolis, um, which, you know, wasn't far. I started looking into it. They were doing a Hellraiser 2 reunion and they had, you know, the four Cenobites from the movie. They had uh, the lady who played Julia. Ashley Lawrence was there. Wow. The guy who played Dr. Chenard was going to be there, you know, and they also had wow. coming to the show. Tom Savini, the original guy who played the creature from the Black Lagoon. Kane Hodder was there. And I was like, oh my God, this is so awesome. I actually got my brothers to go with me. 
And, you know, years later, come to find out that was the third show that Horror Hound had ever put on. It was incredible. But yeah, like you said, I remember going through the lines, Kane Hodder and Doug Bradley was charging 25 bucks for an autograph. And they also did a photo with you at the table. No extra charge, right? Yeah, no, they would just do it right there after they were done signing. Uh, Tom Savini was 20 bucks, I think. And, you know, a lot of the lesser draws, you know, were like 20 bucks, you know, like 20, 25 bucks was like the max you were really spending at these. You know, it was great. We had a blast. It was fun. But, you know, at the time back then, you know, I had little kids, you know, I was, I was working in a factory and stuff. So I didn't have a lot of time off. I didn't go to another convention for years. And then finally I went to the next one. I think I went to was like, it was either 2016 or 2017 and brother, I about shit myself. (laughs) Yeah. No, because you saw the prices. Yes. When I saw the price jump, I was like, what is happening? (laughs) It was insane. I could not believe Kane Hodder was at this show. Same celebrity that signed 20, you know, 25 bucks for me, (laughs) you know, years ago is now $60. Oh, you know, and I think, you know, and I think Kane still does a photo with you for free. If you get an autograph, cause you know, Kane just loves doing it and he loves the fans. And that's about your average now, really, you know, usually your average now is between like 40 and 60 Yeah, that, that I've noticed. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know this, uh, Kevin, but there's a new convention here in central Florida because you've got spooky empire and they're in Orlando. I think they've tried to do Tampa a couple of times, but in Ocala, which is central Florida, they've got this new convention and it's called Spookala. They've only done it twice. But already they're bringing in more of the guests that don't normally attend conventions. They're yeah. smart about finding the people that have never sat down to sign or the more rare actors and talent that have been in these movies. And I've been to both of the conventions from Spookala. And I think that the last time I caught them on like one of the, they had like a special deal on their tickets and to get in was like $12. Wow. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. It's great. You can bring the whole family. You know, and what's cool though, is a lot of times trying to find these actors that don't get a lot of shows. That's always kind of neat. There's usually always that one rare gem, you know, that was in a movie you really liked and you're like, holy crap, this dude's coming to this. I got to go. No, that's absolutely true. I know that uh, there's another convention now happening in Orlando called Phantasm. And I got to meet the stunt double for Janet Lee from the shower in Psycho. That was pretty cool to actually be able to meet her because she's really up there in age. Really sweet lady. I got to have some FaceTime with her and actually talk to her for a few minutes. That was really cool. Oh, yeah. Some of the best people I've ever met at conventions, you know, which most of the time they are your main horror characters, is the stunt people. Mm -hmm. The stunt guys have the best stories ever. They are so fantastic. <laughs> I know that you've probably, since you work behind the scenes at uh, at Horror Hound, you've probably met a lot of the celebrities more so than the average guest attending would. You probably have a little more FaceTime, don't you? Yeah, I've I've had some pretty cool experiences, you know, and, and I always tell my buddy Aaron, you know, I thank him all the time. I'm like, dude, if it wasn't for you, a majority of the stuff that I've done, I would have never gotten to do in my life, you know, and it's all because of you. A few years ago, Bloomhouse contracted Horror Hound to come out 
and it was the 2018 year when the 2018 Halloween came out. Mm-hmm. They uh, contracted Horror Hound to come out and do the Halloween movies 40th anniversary convention. So I got to go to Pasadena, California and help work on this show. And it was incredible. Every person to ever play Michael Myers was at the show. Mm. So it, it was insane. I mean, it was, I mean, there was tons and tons of actors from every movie. I think it was Sunday morning. We're sitting down in the restaurant, uh, eating breakfast before we go over to the convention area. And there's three of us at the table and we see our buddy Chuck look up and he waves for someone to come over. And we're like, what's going on? Brad Laurie comes walking over and sits down with us. He, he came down for breakfast and was standing there at the hostess thing, waiting to be seated. No one was up there. He was by himself. <laughs> so Chuck waved for him to come over. Brad comes over, sits down with us. It was just like he was one of the boys and he he told us all kinds of stories and stuff and just a wonderful human being. And, you know, Halloween nine gets a lot of hate, but I always liked the concept of it. I but did too. I, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was a great concept, especially for back then when, you know, that type of stuff was the big thing. Yep. And what's funny is, is if you ask anyone why they hated that movie, they always say just two things. The mask was weird looking and they hated Buster Rhymes. That's all they ever say. They don't say (laughs) anything else about the movie at all, but they want to dismiss the entire movie because of those two things, but it's fine. But, you know, after sitting with Brad and just talking to him, I honestly liked the movie. Like I liked it a hundred times more after that. (laughs) I became a real fan then. I hate to digress into like, you know, I like this Halloween. I don't like this Halloween, but I always loved Halloween resurrection. Yeah. Um, There was, I didn't care for Halloween six. I have nothing against the actors. And if I met them at conventions, I'd still want to get their autographed eight by 10. What's weird is, is Halloween six, you know, there's like three different cuts of it. And, and then they tried to do Mm -hmm. all this stuff with like supernatural and, and the stars and three different people played Michael in that movie at certain points, <laughs> but people just drool and love all over that movie. But, you know, resurrection, you know, everyone hates it because Buster Rhymes gave Michael Myers a crane kick. <laughs> it's like, whatever. <laughs> people are so weird when it comes yeah. to horror movies. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I went to chiller theater in New York and I think it was 2002 or 2003. That's the first time I met Jonathan Breck, the creeper from Jeepers Creepers, and a whole slew of different actors that were in Friday the 13th. But again, this is going back to when like an autograph would run you 20 bucks. Yeah. And it was such a different time period. And being in New York City and it was winter time, it was cold, it was after 9-11, but it was one of the earliest experiences and it was such a great experience and chiller always brings in a variety of guests it's not just horror it's not just classic tv it's not just professional wrestlers it's all of them and it's such a cool crowd to see all these different people that you idolized as a kid that was a great experience and then i've been to spooky empire in orlando i've been to phantasm orlando i went to like one of the generalized cons down in fort lauderdale years ago I've never been to Texas Frightmare Weekend, and I have not had a chance to get to Horror Hounds yet. Definitely, Texas Frightmare Weekend, they bring in a great guest list. Yes, they do. I need to get out there. I really want to check out Horror Hound is definitely on the map because they've been around forever, and they bring in a really good crowd. Now, they've got one coming up for another reunion for Halloween, I think, that you said. 
the March shows coming up. That's kind of a set with like uh, Bruce Campbell is going to be there. A lot of the okay. cast from ET, ET is going to be there. D Wallace and Henry Thomas and Terrifier two reunion. And then there's a bunch mm-hmm. more people yet to be announced. Um, Ken Kurtzinger who played Jason and Jason versus Freddie's going to be there. Yeah. And then in September or no, actually this show has been bumped to August. The normal show we do in Indianapolis in September is going to be in August, I believe. That's going to be a huge show. And I would suggest if you can come to any of them that you should probably come to that one. Okay. I'll tell you some little tidbits off air that hasn't been announced yet. So if you want to make it up to a show, come to that one. So, (laughs) but yes, then in September, and I'm pretty sure this was in one of the Whorehound magazines, so I shouldn't get too in trouble for this. September, okay. we are going back to Pasadena and we are doing the Halloween 45th anniversary edition anniversary show for the Halloween okay. films only. And I, that's the one that I think that I saw somebody on their social media was talking about or one of the Facebook pages for the Halloween films. How many different cities does Horror Hound have shows in, Kevin? We're always in Cincinnati, which technically is Sharonville. They always name the big city wherever the show is, you know, so no matter where it's at, whatever big city you're closest to, that's what it is. Um, We do around Cincinnati um, in March every year. And then for the longest time every year in September was Indianapolis because of COVID and stuff, you know, and different things happening. The last few years, we've been knocked out of Indy. But we are going back to Indy this year. Indy's convention center is massive. You're talking hundreds and hundreds of vendors alone. And then Mm. last time we were there, Mass Fest also took place at the same time we were there. Amazing stuff. You Mm. you would die. I mean, just unbelievable stuff. Artists there. And then um, one year we did a pop-up show in Columbus. Sometimes we do three shows. The one year we did a pop-up show in Columbus. We've done the one in Pasadena. There has been talk of possibly doing one show a year here and there, traveling random places that don't get many horror conventions. Nothing's really came, you know, solid yet. Sure. Cincinnati and and Indy are always the two. That's the main shows that that happen every year. Gotcha. Have you heard of Monster Mania? Oh, yes. Monster Mania, they, they have the show in Maryland, and then I guess they've got one in New Jersey. They might have a third location now. I'm also seeing this new trend where you have an established show, and they start having other shows in other cities. That's why I was asking about Horror Hound, how many different cities they put shows on. Yeah, everybody seems to have their their little area. You know, you got Scarefest, who does, they do a show in Indianapolis, and then they also do a show in um, Lexington. You know, mm-hmm. every year and everybody tries to usually stay around the same dates. You know, they kind of seem to be an annual thing now. But yeah, a lot of the um, vendors that come to these shows, they travel to all these shows. So yeah, I've, I've heard of most of them. And like you said, it, it seems like new ones, though, are popping up all the time now. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know how successful some of them are. You know, <laughs> it's like the thing now. I mean, it's great as a horror fan. I don't know. It was like we was talking about earlier. I sometimes my wallet just can't handle, you know, going to multiple shows a year. So <laughs> I remember back uh, when I was still living in Virginia, the first time I met the original Leatherface, Gunnar Hansen, actually at a haunted house. And he had a little table set up and he had his eight by tens. And again, 20 bucks and I'll get you, you know, an eight by 10. And that's back when they had like the instant disposable cameras. Not everybody had a camera on their phone. 
that's <laughs> dating me, but it was kind of cool. You go to this haunted house and I had no interest in the haunted house, but I wanted to meet the original Leatherface. Like to me, that was one of like my horror heroes back in yep. the day. Oh yeah. I know that there was a haunted house in Salt Lake City that had brought in the remake, uh, the Jessica Biel remake, Leatherface. Andrew Brozinski, I think is his name. And um, he was sitting at a table signing autographs. Now, I'd heard from somebody that worked the show that it was at that same haunted house he got served with divorce papers. I don't know if that's true. That would kind (laughs) of suck. I've heard some horror stories about that guy. If you've noticed over the years, he don't he don't get invited to too many shows. It seems that's true. I've I've actually heard that he kind of had a little bit of a beef about Gunnar Hansen being the Leatherface, and and he felt like he was the real Leatherface. It's funny because you know not a lot of people know this. <laughs> I kind of started that whole shit show that rained down on him over that. <laughs> Uh oh! <laughs> I was friends with Andrew on Facebook when Gunner died and it was announced everywhere. He went on and made a post and it said something to the fact of like, Oh, boo hoo or something like that. And I screenshotted it and I sent it to all the groups <laughs> and, oh. and everyone lost it. And then that's when people started writing on his post and messaging him. And, and then he was saying stuff like, yeah, why don't you go suck his dead nuts and, being just a complete ass about it. Class yeah. act. Well, yeah. I've, I've heard many, uh, you know, there was a convention he was at once where he was hitting on some guy's wife in the bar you oh. know, at, during the show. And when the guy said something to him, basically Bernarski beat him up in the bar. Oh. You know, the dude's massive and he's crazy strong. And basically he like grabbed this dude by his face and like threw him across the bar. I've, I've heard different stories of him being inebriated during shows and stuff. So people just, not only do they not want to put up with that, it's, you know, it's also an insurance risk to the shows, you know? Of course. Yeah. You don't want to hit the news for the negative publicity. No, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> the, the first time I ever met Bruce Campbell was at a bookstore in Salt Lake City, and he was signing his book, If Chins Could Talk. That's when I met him, when he was on that tour. He came through Dayton. (laughs) Wow. And again, it's one of those situations, you buy the book and he'll sign it for free. Yep. At the thing in Dayton, he signed the book and whatever memorabilia you brought for free, no matter how much it was. Like he signed two figures for me, signed the book. And all I did was buy his book. And I saw people there in line. They had stacks of like figures. And cause that was back when the McFarlane uh, movie maniacs came out. Mm-hmm. People just had like tons of them. What is his going rate now for an autograph at a convention for an eight by 10? I think Bruce is 80 bucks. Wow. You know, as we're talking about Bruce Campbell, it reminds me of a story. Years and years and years ago, I was with my sister, and she lived in Maryland at the time. And we went to this convention. It was a Monster Mania, and it was in the Maryland venue, of course. My sister had never been to one. But, you know, she went ahead and went with me. I dragged her along. And it's probably a mistake, as I tell you this story. So we're in the line, and we're waiting. And I'm waiting to meet Angus Scrim from uh, Phantasm, the tall man. I don't know how old the guy was. He was probably like at least in his seventies because he was up there and we're waiting in line and my sister's looking around and she just cannot believe how many people are at this convention. And she's like, who's that guy over there? And it was Bruce Campbell, (laughs) Bruce Campbell's over there. He's got a huge line. And my sister's like, you know, who's that asshole? And the guy in front of us waiting for Angus Grimm, he goes, he turns around 
and he looks at us. He's like, you don't know who Bruce Campbell is? Like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> and my sister's like, I don't give a shit who he is. Like, my sister does not skip a beat. And I'm like, oh, my God, please don't embarrass me. Like, please don't be a bully. Not now, okay? But she's like, I know there's like three people in front of you, but as old as that tall guy is, if you don't get up there pretty quick, he's going to end up being dead. You better start jumping places in line. <laughs> it was probably the last time I could ever bring my sister to one of these conventions. And her husband at the time, he had come with us. He was an attorney. He kind of enjoyed like people watching. The times they are a changing. <laughs> right. And the crazy thing is, is that a lot of these photo ops, these pro photo ops, they cost the same as that. And especially if you get into these group photo ops, like where there's multiple people in it, like you're talking like $200 for a photo. I saw something and I think it was a photo op with like the Lord of the Rings. Yes. And I think it was upwards of four or $500. And yeah, it, it usually just depends crazy. on how many people are in it. Yeah, it's it's nuts. See, a lot of these, a lot of the celebrities, they come to these shows and they come on um, contractual guarantees. They want so much money. So then it's the convention's job to figure out what do we need to do so they can make this money. Because if they don't make their money at the show, then the convention itself is obligated to pay them the rest of their fee. I did not know that. Yes. So that's what happens with a lot of these at these shows. So do the celebrities themselves set the prices for their autographs or does the show recommend just because they don't want to be on the hook for the, the difference um, in the price? I believe a lot of the time that's just kind of between the rep and the show people. I mean, let's be honest. Most of the time, like let's just use Whorehound for instance, because, you know, I know about it. You know, I, I work there. I know what mm -hmm. happens. Whorehound. Yeah. Most shows sell out. We sell every ticket. Celebrities are going to make their money there. You know, they're going to make their money. Sometimes they're going to make more than what they even wanted. What happens is a lot of times our promoters run the show be like, look, you got to remember who you're catering to here. You know, your fan base, who they are. These are people in Ohio, Kentucky. You're going to sell more autographs for 60 bucks than you are for $85. Sometimes they, they got to be a little smarter about it, but then you get that whole shit storm of, well, I'm so-and-so and so-and-so is charging this and I'm just as good as they are. So why ain't I getting that? You know what I mean? And sometimes it's ridiculous. It's uh, like, ego? yes, ego, big time. Well, so what the convention does is they try to get the prices set. So, you know, a lot of times there's not a lot of money made at all by conventions. They try no, to by, save themselves. By from having to pay out tens of thousands of dollars to these celebrities because they didn't meet their guarantee. I remember back in the day, because I don't know if I told you, Kevin, I was involved with this thing called FanFest 2000 in uh, Salt Lake City. We were definitely ahead of the curve. I had paired up with a friend of mine. Her and I did this show. She was a casting director, and we did our show at the fair park in salt lake city and we had a great guest list dream autographs by today's standards because we had ted white who was jason in part four last living stunt double for john wayne we had richard brooker from friday the 13th part three that nice. uh the other person actually knew personally we had uh don shanks michael myers from halloween five who was local in the utah area we had mike Lookinland, who was bobby brady from the brady bunch we had Todd Bridges from Different Strokes. We had Mr. Sulu, George Takei. 
We had Gunnar Hansen. So that was basically our dais of celebrities for that show. Now, it takes so much money for advertising, and we started meeting with different radio stations and stuff, and they want a percentage of the profit. And they wanted like 35% for the parent company to put it on every format, country, pop, rock and roll, classic, whatever. They'll make sure that there's advertising across all of the different stations. We didn't opt that route. We went with one particular format, one station, where we didn't have to shell out all this percentage of the profits and then we went through smith ticks which was like a local ticket master for that area salt lake city utah is just a very weird place they've got that mormon culture and so we had our show on saturday sunday again this is 2000 so it's 23 years ago anytime you do anything on sunday you're going to lose a lot of your mormon crowd if they would even go to this anyways because the horror thing kind of an oddball thing for people that are Mormon. But if you're going to have a show on Sunday, they're not going to show up. It's against their faith. We lost our ass on that show. George Takei back then was $7,500. In his contract, it was demanded that him and his agents fly first class from LA back and forth. Then we had the overhead of the hotel. We had to you know, do a per diem for their food or feed them. And so there was a lot of costs. We lost our ass. Unfortunately, we didn't have the overhead to continue to do that year after year until we started to pull a profit. Now they have, it used to be called Salt Lake City uh, Comic Con, but they got in trouble with San Diego Comic Con because they went down there and put it in San Diego's face and San Diego <laughs> sued Salt Lake Comic Con. Yeah, Did you I know that? that? Yeah, I seen all that going on. That was kind of funny. Yeah. So they're not, yeah, no they, one's allowed they, to use the term Comic Con anymore. Yeah, you can thank Salt Lake City, the promoters for that show, because they went down there and tried to steal some of the crowd from California, and the court fucked them over. Honestly, San Diego Comic-Con has a heart because they said, look, these are the damages that the court has awarded us. If they had demanded all the damages right away, there would be no more Salt Lake Comic-Con. It would have been done. Now it's called Fanax. They changed the name to Fanax to appease them. Yeah, San Diego let Salt Lake City do a payment plan. And so that's why Fan X still exists. But it is an amazing show. And they bring in A-list celebrities from like last year's movies. They've got major money coming in to that. But it's sad because if we had stuck with the program and found a way to continue to do it year after year, then, you know, FanFest 2023, we would have all been sitting in like, you know, multiple homes, one in Hawaii, one in California, one in... <laughs> We were just starting out and um, we didn't have the overhead to continue with it. And it's really sad. It was just a very weird venue. But now it's a destination for your major con. And who would have thought? It's very, very frustrating as I look back. I'm like, God, opportunity lost. And again, it takes money to play this game. It does. Like you said, I, I don't think a lot of the normal Comic Con convention goers. They don't realize, you know, yeah, things are expensive there. But like you said, people don't really sit down and break down the overhead in this stuff. Oh, you got to fly in your celebrities wherever they live. Plus you got to fly in their, you know, a handler that comes with them. So mm -hmm. it's not just one person. It's two people. Then you got to pay for their hotel rooms. Then you got to pay for all their food, their travel back and forth from each hotel to the convention center, to the airport. There is so much involved. I would not want to undertake that task whatsoever. There's, there's just no way. 
You know, Kevin, as we're talking about running a show, actually putting on a show in a city, a, a very large show like Fan Fest 2000 was, you know, I look back at the experience and it's jogging a lot of memories talking with you. And one of the greatest memories, it's kind of odd, but people don't understand, like, I don't know what it is, and you can probably relate to this, but a lot of these celebrities, they live in a different world. As we're looking at who we're going to put in this show, who the celebrities are that we're going to bring, we want to appeal more than just a horror audience. We want to do more than just like a superhero or nostalgic TV, vintage TV stuff. We want to appeal to different audiences so we can bring in the numbers. So one of the people that we wanted to bring in was Adam West. And Adam West at the time was uh, represented by a guy named uh, Fred Westbrook. It's actually B-R-O-C-K. So he always said Westbrook to me. So I dealt with the guy on the phone and this other person that was doing the show with me also dealt with the guy. And it was so bizarre because whenever he would answer his phone in Los Angeles, he goes, hey, Mock, Fred Westbrook here with Adam West. And he would always say that. He never just said, hey, Mark, this is Fred. He'd always say, with Adam West, like he was like really promoting it every time we spoke on the phone, like Adam West was sitting right next to him or he had Adam in a closet or something. It was so fucking strange. He couldn't just say, hey, this is Fred. What's up, Mark? And we never did get Adam West. Adam West like wanted a guarantee of certain numbers or a certain dollar amount that he knew he was going to make to come to Salt Lake City and sign autographs. We ended up getting, though, Frank Gorshin, who had played the Riddler in the old television show. That's a whole other story in itself. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell you the story of him because I loved that guy. Of course, I loved his character on the old Batman television series. He did a, an awesome Riddler, but he was like corralling a kitten. The guy was a hardcore smoker. And so the Friday night before the show, we had this dinner for all the celebrities at the Rhino Grill just south of Salt Lake City. You could not smoke in restaurants. I don't think you can now in most places, but you couldn't back then. And they were hypersensitive about it. Frank Gorshin could not stop fucking smoking. And he's like hiding the cigarette underneath the table. And like the waitress is like, we're going to call the police if this guy doesn't put out his cigarette. Like they had to tell him multiple times he could not stop. And then later at night, he's like, hey, is there any place to gamble around here? The guy was just so... He was a character. There's no way to describe him. He was funnier than hell. I really enjoyed him, but he definitely was a character. So the day of the show, Saturday, the first day of the show, they're all staying at Little America Hotel in Salt Lake City, all these celebrities. And so we had this limousine service that was donated to us to bring the celebrities to the venue. It was this big to-do, right? And so this limousine pulls up at Little America Hotel and all the celebrities come out and they all get in the limousine and George Takei was the only one not there. Frank Gorshin came out and he's smoking and he's got like one leg in the limo so they won't pull away. And they're like, come on, we're going to be late. Get your ass in here. He's like, hold on, hold on. And he, you know, he had to finish his cigarette with one leg inside the limousine. So he jumps in and they're like, where's George? Where's George Takei? He's like, oh, he got his own ride. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. We got to stop by the gas station. I, I need to get some smokes. And they're like, holy fuck, all these other celebrities, like this guy. And so they take off and they leave. And a couple minutes later, George Takei comes out in a classic George Takei voice. Where's the limousine? And they had left his ass. And, you know, Frank Gorshin had said he needed cigarettes. So on the way to the fair park, this limousine pulls in so he can run into the gas station and get a pack of smokes. 
<laughs> and then George Takei actually had to drive in a Jeep, a soft top Jeep, to go to the fair park for the show. And I'm sure it's winter time. He's probably freezing his ass off. <laughs> Such a great story. Frank Gorshin was amazing. He was really fun. But as a manager for a show, he's a little hard to, to keep control of. He likes to smoke. He likes to drink. He wanted to gamble. I think maybe that his handler drove him out to Windover so he could go out and pull some slots. Crazy. Being involved with running a show like that was pretty amazing. You're right. It is a lot of stress. If the people don't come, it can be very stressful. <laughs> like, how are we going to yeah. pay these celebrities? I don't think we ever ended up paying Gunnar Hansen what we owed him. And back then... The horror people were like $2,000, and then they made whatever they made off of autographs. Yep. I ended up working um, overtime at the prison yeah. you know, to pay off Ted White. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I worked yeah, overtime, it, and I got him paid off. That was always one of my biggest uh, regrets, was never getting to meet Gunner. He's one of the few that I never did get to meet. So, And that that is something else you know people need to consider when they're debating on whether or not should I attend this show? Should I wait and go to catch them next time? Everyone needs to remember they're, they're all people too. There may not be a next time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've, that's happened with me and, and several celebrities, even since I've been working for Whorehound, I was busy and they were busy. And I thought, ah, I'll just go back, you know, meet them later. Oh, they're coming back to the next show. Okay. I'll get them. Then Wilford Brimley was my latest that happened with. I got a Wilford Brimley story for you. I'm glad that you brought him up. Kevin, because okay. now you're not supposed to talk about people that are deceased. And I never met him, <laughs> but you know, he's a Utah guy. He was big into the equestrian scene in Utah. Okay. But, and so the acting that I did, and when I got involved with the whole production and agent and movies and TV in Utah for the short time that I did, I know that he had a history about him. I heard he was not a very nice guy, Wilford Brimley. I guess if you really want to get in good with him, talk to him about horses, then he will be a fairly nice guy. But I never heard a good story about the diabetes guy. They could have actually written that into the storyline of the thing. When his character Blair starts fucking smashing all the computers, they could have just justified it by saying, well, I guess Blair's blood sugar is all fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> every i seen him i, I seen him twice at Horrorhound, and every time he's always you know full-blown wrangler jeans flannel shirt mm -hmm. cowboy hat i don't know if he wasn't a nice guy or if it was just so much he was just you know that that old i don't give a shit you know mentality you know don't bother me Grumpy. you know what i mean i he said <laughs> so yeah. i i've never really heard much about him he's definitely no matthew lillard you know, who mm -hmm. is insane with his fans. I mean, the dude is incredible. I, I was in line for Matthew because I had a special print that I wanted to make sure got signed at the last time he was there. And Matthew and Skeet's lines were huge. I mean, you're talking minimum waiting two hours, probably. Oh, also, when they, when you do get up to them, they take their time with you. Like they talk, they hug, you know, I mean, they, they make it very personal. I'm standing in line waiting, you know, for him to come in for the hall to open and the line is already gigantic. And literally the dude comes in the back door of the building and goes through the back of the line. He didn't come around or go around the wall or come up around the side to the tables. He went in the back of the line, 
and talked and shook hands and thanked every person that was in line all the way up to his table. Wow. And then later that night, that was the closing night of the show on Sunday. The venue hall closed, I believe, at five o'clock, I think, on Sunday. Him and Skeet both, they still probably had two, three hours worth of people waiting in line in there wanting to meet them and get their autograph. Him and Skeet both canceled their mm. flights that night and stayed in there till everybody was done and got through and got to meet them before they left. That's awesome. You know, and then and then like you said, there's there's always that one celebrity that kind of ruins it for everybody, <laughs> you know, well, for Brimley well, and Narski. You know, <laughs> what is I've it? got Let's my story. It. Let's hear it. Well, you're probably not going to be surprised, and I can't say that he was necessarily rude or mean. He was just pretty much like Kurt, and yeah. that would be William Shatner. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. So you know, you go up there. You it was eighty bucks. This is probably. I don't know, 2012, 2014. And so I'd gone up to him and it's like, this is the man. This is Captain Kirk. Like, this is yep. the real deal. And I had an eight by 10. I didn't want one of his. I had one from his episode of the Twilight Zone, Nightmare at 30,000 feet. So I brought it up and I, I'm there face to face with the man. And I don't know if he even looked up, to be honest with you, Kevin. Yeah. But I'd asked him because I knew he was big into Dobermans. And I said, are you still into the Dobermans? And he goes, I've got two at home. And he scratched his autograph and then slid it across the table. <laughs> like, I don't think he even looked up. He made it very clear. I'm here for 80 bucks. You know, goodbye. Yeah. I've heard that about him. And I've heard he still thinks it's so weird that people want him to sign Michael Myers stuff. He just don't get it at all. <laughs> he, he thinks it's like so dumb that people want his name on Michael Myers stuff. But of course, like you said, he wants the 80 bucks. So he'll sign it anyway. Sure. Um, I heard the same thing about Richard Dreyfus. Um, I had some friends that met him. He was at a Cincinnati comic con this last time. Mm -hmm. And they said, he's very weird. He's very impersonable. I I've seen people with like these big original jaws, one, you know, movie theater posters that are in perfect condition. He'll get them and sign them. His signature is just, he makes it real gigantic and just <laughs> real and just real awful and ugly. And then he'll like draw a picture on it. Just <laughs> almost just like being an asshole, just to be an asshole, you know? And, and yeah. And they said, he really don't talk, you know, or look up. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, well, he, you know, he's sitting there and he takes the black magic marker and he's, he's marking out the, the teeth of the shark, blacking them out. Like we all did in grade school to pictures yeah. in our textbooks, <laughs> dickhead. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's always one, but then there's always some really good ones, you know, and, and Robert England's a great one to meet. Robert loves to talk and he will talk, 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 talk. And Doug Bradley was the same way. I stood in the hallway in the middle of a show once and he walked by me and this was before I started working for Whorehound. I knew he drove a hearse to most conventions because they use it to store all his stuff in as well while they're traveling. Oh, really? Yeah. And there was one in the back parking lot. And like I said, this is when I was just a patron. You know, I wasn't working there. I went to the show to meet because the show of Whorehound, it was the first time in the area they had Nick Castle and Ted White, you know, my two favorite Michael Myers and my favorite Jason. Mm -hmm. So I went to meet them. And as I'm coming out into the main hallway, I see Doug Bradley walking towards me. And as he gets close to me, I was like, you know, I kind of waved and I said, hey, Mr. Bradley. And he kind of bowed his head. I said, a uh, quick question. I said, is that your hearse out there in the back? I said, if it is, I was going to go take, I want to go take a photo with it. 
And he came back and he just stops and turns around and he walks up to me. He goes, did you say there's a hearse in the back back here? I said, yeah. He goes, oh no, that's not mine. He goes, mine's over at the hotel. And I said, oh, okay. I said, I wasn't for sure what, you know, make and model yours was. I just, you know, I'd seen your post where I knew you took one to the shows. And I proceeded to tell him that I owned a 1970 Cadillac hearse. And he was like, really? And then it just like that, we just started conversating. You know, <laughs> we're standing in the middle of the hallway and then he calls this girl's with him. I don't know if it was his girlfriend or his handler or what. He calls her over and she comes over and he's telling her about my car and stuff. And we're literally standing there in the middle of this hallway. And he talks to me for like a half an hour, like just bullshitting. And it was so awesome. And I was, I kind of realized that, you know, these people, most of them love their fans. You know, they, they, they love meeting people and stuff. But do you realize how many times these people have probably heard I'm your biggest fan. Oh, Pinhead's my favorite character ever. Oh my God. I love you so much in this movie. Like you tried to do with William Shatner. When you bring up things in their life that they love doing and that they're into it, like can open a door into like a whole new world with these people that's happened with me. And like tons of these celebrities, you know, you know, actually getting to know them and talking to them like they're people. Most of them love that stuff. It's sad that, you know, the experience with William Shatner was because I love Dobermans and I thought that that would be at least something not talking about Star Trek. I'm sure that he goes to these conventions and people say, you know, in episode 13, you said this. <laughs> what did that mean? And I know that's got to get old. I know that I, oh, I yeah. had lunch. I had lunch with Todd Bridges years ago. And I know that in the short time that I was with him, I was like, I pray to God nobody comes up and says, what you talking about, Willis? I know, right? Because that pisses them <laughs> off. I know it pisses them off. It's like, and I know that these are the fans. You know, these are the people that made you, but it just gets annoying for these people. And I understand that, you know, when you're a celebrity, you put yourself at risk because, you know, these people want to meet you. They want to learn about you. They're fascinated by you. Here in the United States, we have this obsession with celebrity. Yeah. You know, once you give up your personal life, you want fame. You know, it's a double-edged sword. You get the, the money and you get the stardom and you get all these extra benefits, but then you also lose your privacy. Yep. And some people don't handle it very well. No, you know, they they're, don't. They're having dinner and somebody comes up and say, hey, Mr. So-and-so, can I please get a picture with you? Can I please get an autograph? D. Snyder from Twisted Sister. I saw a video on YouTube years ago, and he was outside on a patio with a couple of ladies you know, trying to have a meal. And this person came up and said, Hey, can I get a sub with you? It's like, well, I'm right now I'm, I'm eating with my friends. And, and the lady copped an attitude. It's like, who the fuck are you to say? No, like we made you. Yeah. And it's like, Oh my God. Entitled. They're human. Like you said, they're human. Like, like all of us, they love those more, those moments of normalcy. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone listening to this right now, just remember that if, if you go to a show and you want to actually conversate with your favorite character, don't tell them you're their biggest fan. You know, don't tell them they were the best <laughs> Michael Myers ever. <laughs> They've heard it a million times already. You know, Kevin, you bring up Nick Castle, and I don't know if I've ever told you my Nick Castle experience, but he was at Monster Mania, and I had met him, and of course, he is credited with the shape in the original Halloween. So I went over and I met him, got his autograph, not the friendliest guy. I went around the table to get my picture with him, and he wouldn't even stand up. Like, I had to crouch down next to him. 
I guess I should research this. I hope to God he had his legs because if he was in a wheelchair and here I am complaining, that motherfucker wouldn't even stand up. And then, of course, he has no legs. I'm really going to look like an asshole. But it wouldn't be the first time. Anyways, at the same convention, Tony Moran was there. Now, Tony Moran was the guy who actually played Michael Myers age 23 and the mask gets pulled off. So he's really the face of Michael Myers. That guy was great. Like he puts his arm around you. He's ready to go out for beers. Really cool dude. Kind of weird how you have those different interpretations of these different guys at the conventions. I forgot to mention, you know, we was talking about how the prices and stuff have changed over the years. I, mm -hmm. I wanted to tell you, you, you know, when that changed happened, right? You know, what changed all that? Don't you No, Please tell me the fucking walking dead. Okay. So why give me the background when the walking dead phenomenon hit you all of a sudden had people who their entire life never really loved or cared that much about horror and horror movies. But now the walking dead phenomenon hits and you have all these housewives and whatnot that are now in love with Daryl Dixon, you know, Norman Reedus, uh, you know, Andrew Lincoln. So Norman was one of the first celebrities to go to a show and charge more than a hundred dollars for, for an autograph. And once that happened and he was getting it, everybody started raising their prices then uh, to like obscene numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I think Norman's autograph, the last show he did was $125 and people are paying it. Yep. You're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people paying it. It's, it's crazy. Here's something I wanted to ask you about, Kevin, is this last Spookala that I told you the beginning of December that they had in Ocala, yeah. Florida. You had um, Corey Feldman there. <laughs> um, so, okay. And, and so I got to tell you, I'll bet you the line was probably three hours long. Yeah. He had two different prices. Yep. And if, if you wanted it personalized, it was cheaper with your name, like to Mark or to Kevin, it was cheaper. But if you wanted just his signature, cause he knows people are going to go out and resell it on him. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm so sorry. The dude, it, he's such a mess. I didn't go up. I didn't stand in the line. I met enough of other people that I didn't have any need to, to go over. I mean, I would have liked to have gotten his signature cause he was in the final chapter. I wasn't going to wait in that line, but he was a huge draw. You know, you have Goonies, you have Lost Boys. Oh, yeah, um, the dude's resume is insane. And so he is definitely a, a wanted autograph. People wanted pictures with him. He's a big draw. He he does very few shows here and there in between. But, yeah, he's he's always a good draw. But, yeah, that whole charging two different rates because he's afraid you're going to sell his autograph. You know what? If I'm going to sell it, it's going to be for the same price I bought it from you anyway. So you didn't lose any money and I didn't make any money. So what's yeah. the difference? Yeah. And that's a conversation me and my friends have had. Most items that I get from the shows I attend, I do not want them personalized. I don't get them personalized. The reason I do that is not for resale. I mean, heaven forbid something bad happened to me and I do need to start selling my shit to make ends meet, which if I did that, it'd only be in a desperate situation. Right. I'm not going to live forever. I'm going to die someday. People that's left behind to deal with all my stuff, they're going to have to do something with all this crap that I've acquired over the years. So it's either yeah. my kids, my kids really like this movie 
and they can take this print home and hang it on their wall or they can turn around and sell it. But if it's got my name on it, their only chance to ever sell it is to sell it to someone named Kevin, <laughs> you know, or it's, or then it's, or then it's worthless. You know, if I want your name, if I want you to personalize it, that should be my own business. You know, that should be, that should have no effect on you whatsoever. Well, you know, with the paparazzi, I understand why they would want to do that when you're, you know, you're at the LA airport and you're getting bombarded by paparazzi. It's like, I'm only going to personalize. I'm only going to personalize it. They'll hand a celebrity a stack of fucking eight by tens. Yep. And it's like, come on, man. Like, I know what you're going to do. You're going to jump on eBay and sell this shit. Yeah. If I'm buying one print from you, who gives a shit? <laughs> right. Right. A lot of times the people at the conventions are typically not the people that the paparazzi are chasing anymore anyways. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Best and worst experiences for the different celebrities that you've had the interaction with at the conventions. Oh man, I've had so many good experiences. I really have. Tom Morga is incredible. The dude's resume is so insane. You know, I didn't even realize it till we were talking to him. Um, we did Tom's costume for him at the Columbus show. We did Tom played. Um, he played the mass Jason in part five. Mm-hmm. He played Michael Myers in part four for his photo ops. We did his Roy costume and we did his Myers costume. So when we would do these costumes, we was responsible for them as well. So we would be the ones that would actually go back and help the celebrities get ready, you know, get their mask on, get ready. And then we would stand there with them doing photo ops, you know, cause sometimes they can't see. So we would help them pose, you know, and, you know, hold the knife this way, do that. While doing this, we got to talk to Tom quite a bit. The dude's so incredible, you know, stunt man for 30 some years. He was Egon stunt double in the original Ghostbusters. Wow. You know, he was in Shawshank Redemption. You know, he was in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies as a stuntman. His list went on and on. And I will tell you this, not a lot of people know this. He actually has played Jason, Michael Myers, and Leatherface. He was the Leatherface in part two that was standing in the back of the truck on the on the bridge at the beginning in the opening. Oh, with nubbins? <clears throat> yep, that was Tom with the running saw. <laughs> Just so many great stories from him and and Steve Dash was amazing. He was so great. We did his part two costume. Um, Nev Campbell is incredible. Such a sweetheart. There's a story um, that's been told on our podcast that it happened a couple years ago. We did a scream reunion and our friend Chuck comes from Wisconsin. So he gets there and Chuck brings a lot of stuff. Um, he brought some of the celebrities costumes to wear at that show. Cause he worked on them. Um, he had his own costumes cause he's a cosplayer. He gets there while we're working and he was like, can anyone come and help me, you know, unload. So our buddy Kent goes, I'll run and help Chuck. He goes, you guys just keep doing what you're doing. They're gone for a little while. And here comes Kent walking back in to the hall, walking towards us. And I look at Kent and Kent looks like he is pissed off at the world. I'm thinking, oh my God, him and Chuck just got into it or something. And he comes over and he's almost like pacing. He's so mad. And we're like, dude, what's the matter? And he's just like shaking his head and he won't say nothing. He is so just wound up. And then Chuck comes walking over and he goes, you ain't going to believe this. And we was like, what? They go to the front desk 
They get Chuck's room keys. They check him in. They go up to his room. They open it up and it's, it's a big, nice room. It's like a suite with like a separate kitchen and all this stuff. Wow. And Kent's straight from the heart of Kentucky, you know? So he walks in, he's like, oh my God. He's like, this place is, is you got a kick-ass room, you know? And he throws Chuck's stuff down on the bed and they're looking around and they're just talking and laughing and being loud. And then out of the kitchen comes walking Nev Campbell in a robe. And she's like, hello. (laughs) And they're like, and both, both of them just like freeze. Finally, when Kent spoke to us, he goes, dude, he goes, I will never forget the look in her eyes when she came around in the corner. (laughs) Like you were just about to kidnap her and take her away. He goes, she was so scared. He goes, it made me feel so bad. I got so mad when I left the room that they did this. Yeah. The hotel had already checked her into that room and then they booked Chuck in the same room. Oh, but so then they got away from that. And then later we're doing the screen photo ops that day. Chuck is actually the one dressing in the, in the screen robe. So we're standing downstairs, all of us, Nev comes walking up and immediately looks at Ken and is like, Oh yeah. She was like, you're the guy that was in my room earlier and starts cracking up (laughs) and everybody starts laughing and Ken gets all red face. So literally, even to this day, you know, this was like three or four years ago. To this day, she still talks about it when we see her. Wow. Yeah, she's an absolute sweetheart. I've had some good experiences with Robert England. Um, I got to sit in on two private signings with Robert during the show. Very well-spoken man and just has tons of stories. I got him to talk about the, uh, the Mark Hamill stories. I don't know if you've ever heard those. I have um, not. Em and Mark Hamill were roommates back in the seventies before they both became famous. Hmm. Mark Hamill slept on Robert England's couch and he would tell us, you know, how they would just hang out and do, you know, seventies type things <laughs> back then. And wow. Robert is Robert's actually the one he went to the studio. He was trying to get work, you know, as an actor back then. And he went to the studio and he read the script for star Wars. And he went back to the apartment and told Mark, he was like, you need to get down there. You need to go read for this. So Mark went and read for star Wars after Robert told him to go down. And and then I think that's also how Robert ended up getting into V into the old science fiction thing. V back. then. Oh yeah. I love it. Yeah. The vegetarian Willie, right? Is he was the alien Willie. Yes. You know, he's got Um, so many great stories, you know, it's, it was, it was great to set with him. I don't know if I ever told you this, Kevin, but I actually, with the other individual that helped with Connor, that was in charge of the convention back in 2000, she had connections with Mark Hamill and she had set him up with this company that had done a version of his comic book into a video game. And they had developed it right there by the Salt Lake city airport. And so he had flown in and we picked him up and brought him to dinner in Salt Lake City at Bocce. It was him and his son. There was another actor there, and I forgot the actor's name. In fact, I'll look it up and see if I can find him real quick. Because I know you know him. He was in Die Hard 2. He was Dennis Franz's brother. Do you remember when the car's getting towed at Dulles Airport in the beginning of Die Hard 2? Yeah. And so it was the other cop. Oh, okay. Uh, he was there in Salt Lake City for whatever reason. So it was Mark Hamill, this friend of mine who knew Mark, 
Mark's son, this other actor, we went to Bocce. And I didn't really talk to Mark because Mark's son was a big fan of horror movies. I talked to Mark's son the whole entire time about horror movies and Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But nice. a cool experience, and I got yeah. I got Mark's I got Mark's autograph when we yeah. dropped him off back at the airport. I got his autograph. Yeah, that's one that I it's on my bucket list of autographs to get. <laughs> well, unfortunately, he signed it to Mark and not to Kevin, or I <laughs> or or I'd give it to you. You'll 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 never be able to get rid of that thing now. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Unless well, you sell it to someone named Mark. <laughs> but you know, as you talk about like uh, him and his history with Robert England pretty cool personality you know i'm looking at this autograph right now and it says hey mark force yourself rather than <laughs> you know may the force be with you so rather than fuck yourself force yourself <laughs> kind of cool it is lots of good experiences you know Kiefer sutherland was incredible really you know, yeah oh yeah he was he was wonderful um i helped with the private signing with him too during when he was at the show and I was back there with him and Jason Patrick for probably an hour, hour and a half. Good guy. Really. He really enjoyed being at the show, which was nice. Uh, mm. Lou diamond Phillips came in the room also, you know, when we were back there, he's, he was a really cool guy too. He did some signing stuff while he was back there. Honestly, tons and tons more great experiences than bad. James Jude Courtney is incredible. Um, at the shows, James will usually come out. And hang out at the after hours parties with everybody and, you know, oh, just nice. talk and tell stories. And we see that a lot at Whorehound. You know, there's usually a, a good handful of the celebrities that will come and just hang out with people at the after parties and stuff. My worst experience ever. And there will probably be a lot of people that would back me up on this is probably Tom Savini. Oh, you know, I've heard that. <laughs> And then I really didn't know much about Tom other than his work and, you know, and kind of his work background and stuff. But, you know, after talking to some people, I kind of maybe get why he is the way he is sometimes, you know, he, he's a vet, you know, Vietnam vet, all this stuff. And I guess a lot of people say that he changed quite a bit when he came back from that. And I've seen him hit or miss, you know, I've, I've seen him at shows, not that I've ever went back and talked to him again. But I've seen him at shows up interacting with fans and laughing and talking and going around and buying stuff from vendors. Like I've seen him go up to mass makers tables and buy their original concepts that they've made because he just loved it. You know, go right up and buy it from them right there. You know, here's Tom Savini buying something that you created, you know, which would be pretty awesome. You know, if, yeah. if you did that stuff. And then I've seen him, you know, where he's just as flat as can be. And he acts like he just wished you wasn't bothering him, you know, and that's kind of what I got, which really kind of sucked to me because back in the day, that was the first convention I ever went to for around, you know, the 2007 one. He was like one of my heroes, you know, that was my dream was to work in special effects and either wanted to work for him or Stan Winston Studios. So here I am at the show and he's there and I'm all jacked to go over and meet him dude act like he couldn't give two shits, you know, who I was or why I was there. Didn't interact with me at all. Didn't really say nothing. Basically pick which print you want on the table. Give me my 25 bucks and here you go. Do you think that the reason that maybe he also is the way that he is, is because the guy was like the go-to in the early eighties with practical effects. 
And as Hollywood has changed and gone more to the computer-generated stuff, that he didn't stay current with his craft. And now you're paying the bills by doing conventions. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure there's... Well, and, and you as a horror fan know this, you know, we, as the viewers, we prefer the practical effects. And that's probably Hell something yeah. that really looms in their minds that, you know, the fans want it this way, you know, but Hollywood and, you know, these producers, they don't give a shit. You know, they'll, they'll do whatever they think's cheaper and easier and quicker. Absolutely. You it's, know, it's a so, business and people don't understand that. It's about the bottom line. They got to make money. Yeah. So I would, I would say, you know, Savini was my worst experience, but you know, I, I kind of learned maybe why I, I kind of looked past it. I've never went and spoke to him again. And he's been at several shows that I've worked at. So, but it is what it is. You know, I, I've had more good experiences than bad. And I think a lot of people, you know, when they step back and look at it as a whole would probably say the same thing. Is it just because he just really just didn't seem to care? Is that, I mean, it's not like he didn't well, say thing, anything rude or mean, right? I mean, he just, well, the thing was, is didn't you really know, care. And maybe it was just more of a letdown for me, you know, cause I was sure. so excited to meet him. You know, here's the thing. It was the first day of the show. There was really hardly anyone there in his line. So it wasn't like he was busy. I hear, I come up to your table when no one else is. And I want to pay you for your signature and I'm trying to engage with you and you act like you can barely even look up at me. And then I ask him if, if I could, if for a photo and he just sits there and kind of opens his hands, like, okay, go ahead and take it. Like didn't bother to stand up or, you know, come around <laughs> to, to take it with me. Basically. Like I just wanted to take his picture. You know what I mean? It was just weird. I don't know. And it was probably because at that same show, you know, I met Doug Bradley and Kane Hodder and Bill Mosley. We got lined for Doug Bradley at this show and it took us a little over an hour to get up to his table. Well, as we're getting closer, I look back and it was me and my two brothers at the show. We were all lined together. I look back and there was a line beyond where we started. So it was a longer wait than what we were waiting for the people at the end, you know? Right. We get up to Doug's table and this is kind of when the whole remake stuff started really, you know, kind of starting to kick off, you know, and talks about remakes and all that. So we get up to Doug's table. I set my poster down for him to sign. And I asked him, I was like, so Mr. Bradley, I was like, what do you think about all this remake stuff going around now in Hollywood? And literally he kind of drops his head, puts the cap back on the marker, stands up, comes around the table and just starts having a conversation with me about Hollywood and all their bullshit and how unoriginal they've become and all this stuff. He asked me who these two people were and I introduced him to my brothers and we're standing there talking and there's literally people behind us just huffing and puffing and, you know, like hurry up. Part of me is feeling bad because these people have waited for so long. But then another part of me is like, Motherfucker, Doug Bradley's talking to me like he knows me. I ain't about to leave. <laughs> right, right. So we literally stood there in front of his table for like 20, 25 minutes just BSing. And this was the first convention I ever attended, okay? I did not know how this worked. I had no clue. I didn't know how to tell my brothers how it worked. I only brought a little bit of money with me, okay? But I had like two posters for him to sign. My one brother had one and my other brother had three, I think, because he's a huge Hellraiser fan. He, he's got a full-size pinhead tattooed on his back, okay? Mr. Bradley, I'll say, looks at me and goes, so what do you got for me to sign? 
I said, well, I said, I brought these two things here. I said, but I guess just sign this one. I said, this is our first time ever going to a convention. I said, we've never been to nothing like this in our life. I said, I didn't know. Cause like I told you, when, when I went to the Bruce Campbell thing, Bruce Campbell was buy this book. I'll sign everything you brought with you. I was like, I'd only brought enough money to get maybe one autograph from everybody here that I want. I said, I didn't realize that it was a fee for every item you wanted signed. I said, so just sign this one. He looks at me and he goes, give me your stuff. He goes, put your shit on the table. <laughs> and then I was like, seriously. And then he looks at my brothers. He goes, put your shit on the table too. And he signed all of our stuff for 25 bucks. Wow. We go back to Kane Hodder. And I had a part eight mask for him to sign that I bought off eBay. Great mask. I still don't know who made it to this day. I wish I could find who the maker was because it looks fantastic. Hmm. I hand it to Kane. He goes, oh, this is really nice. He goes, this looks really good. And he's looking at it and flipping it around. He goes, you want me to sign it right here on the forehead? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then I go, yeah, I meant to. Do you, do you remember the old martial arts movie, Best of the Best? I know what movie you're talking about. I never saw it. He's got a scene in that movie where he's this dude in a bar that gets in a fight with um, Eric Roberts and all of them. And his name was Bert. I used to love that movie back in the day. Don't ask me why. But I sit in there <laughs> and I look at him and I go, yeah, I was trying to find my VHS copy of Best of the Best. And I was going to have you sign that, but I couldn't find it nowhere. And literally he starts laughing like his whole body's moving. He's laughing so hard. And he looks up at me, he goes, God damn it. And he stands up. And then comes around the table and he starts talking to me and my brothers. And the same thing with him. We talked for like 20, 25 wow. minutes. And then he's like, so is this all you got for me to sign? And I was like, told him the same thing. I was straight up with him like I was with Doug Bradley. I said, look, we've never been to a show before. I only brought enough to get autographs for one thing from everybody I want. I said, so just sign the mask. And he goes, dude, he goes, put your stuff on the table. And then he signed all of our stuff, him also for 25 bucks. So we're standing wow. there and we start to walk away and he goes, Hey, where are you going? And I was like, well, we're going to get out of everybody's way and let you you know, finish up here. And I said, yeah, we're going to go over here. He goes, uh-uh. He goes, get back over here. We're going to take some pictures. So wow. we go back over and he does a group picture with me and my brothers. And we all take a couple photos and we're like, okay, thanks. We start to walk away. He goes, where are you guys going? We're going to, he goes, no, he goes, each of you come over here individually. He goes, we'll do some more photos. And he took photos with me and my two brothers, like individually. Also, I go from that to going over to meet like one of my heroes who I wanted to work for, you know, <laughs> and the dude's just kind of like, yeah, okay, thanks. That sucks. And yeah, I was just I, like, I've, I was I've just, just totally deflated. <laughs> I've heard that same thing from so many people. And it would be interesting to like have a real conversation with them, not like at a convention where it's like, Tom, you're the best, the best. I love your work. I mean, he hears it a million times a weekend at every oh, yeah. convention. An authentic conversation with the guy to really know, like, what do you value now? Like, is it your grandkid? Is it your daughter? Because for a long time, his social media was obsessed with his daughter. And then, you know, he has now as a grandkid. So I imagine it's all the focus is on his, his grandbaby. Yeah. Well, Aaron, but, my friend Aaron, you know, the, the horror hound promoter, he, he has told me that he's talked to Tom, you know, like, you know, outside of the show. And he said he's, you know, he's, he's a really good guy. 
Well, Kevin, I got one more story I got to tell you before we end this podcast. And this was at a convention where I met the voice of Roger Rabbit. And his name was Charles Fleischer. He's in the first Nightmare on Elm Street. He was the doctor over the dream clinic when Nancy comes out of the dream sequence and she pulls Freddy's hat back. I think she's got a cut on her arm from his glove. Anyway, so I meet him at his table and I want to get an autographed 8 by 10 from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So I go up and I'm like, you know, hello, Mr. Fleischer, how are you? I really, it's so awkward. I really enjoyed you and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And <laughs> here I am an adult male and just having a conversation with another adult male. And he starts doing all these different voices. You know, he's an entertainer. So, he, you know, he starts doing, please, Eddie. And he starts doing like Roger Rabbit. And he starts, he's very well known for doing voice work. Because if you look at his IMDb credits, he's got a lot of voiceover credits, voice credits. He can't come off of the performance. He's jumping from like voice to voice and, and I'm sitting there like, oh, <laughs> that, you don't really have to do that. No, I, <laughs> that's really kind of you. Oh, that's really good. You're very, <laughs> that's very nice. But it was so awkward for me. I'm like, please just sign that picture so I can get the fuck out of here. I mean, I think that there wasn't a whole lot of people at his table. So he wanted me to stand there to entertain. Really nice guy. Definitely an actor. Definitely on the stage when you go up to this table and interact with them. I walked away and I'm like, wow, the, the Hollywood guys, they're just, it's a different breed. You know, it's a different breed. Their entertainers are very interesting people. Well, Kevin, thanks for coming on and talking about the horror convention circuit. I'm going to end today's podcast with telling everybody the same thing I tell you every week, and that is to be good. And if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting in prison, you're not good at it. Good night, Kevin. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I appreciate you having me on.